glad to be here uh, with my church family this morning. Uh, I think sometimes it's easy, even for me, to just kind of uh, forget what a privilege and just, um, just how great it is that we get to meet every Sunday and uh, just worship God and learn about Him. So I'm thankful to be here. And Christmas is only six days away. The week is here. And uh, if, you, if, if you're anything like me, you're probably excited. It's a great time of the year. You're getting ready for the holiday. Uh, but I think as, with all that excitement, you know, as it comes, it's really easy to make Christmas about us, right? It's easy to make it about what we want. Like we know what we want other people to get us for a gift. Uh, we know what we want to get other people. You know, we want uh, time off for the holiday. We want kind of a stress-free environment with our family. And maybe we even, you know, want church, want, want a little church and Jesus in there. And then all those are good things. But I think it's pretty easy to tell what kind of culture has made Christmas to be. But what I want to do this morning is maybe uh, challenge our perspective a little bit as we're leading up to Christmas and see what we can learn from the time leading up to the first Christmas. And we're going to do that by continuing our series, The Line, seeing that history was changed by one person, one event that God had been leading up to for thousands of years. And we talk about this, in, or we read about it in the Old Testament, that God had chosen a man named Abraham to be the father of his, of his people. And that through him, God would bless all the, the, the entire world. That through his family line, through his lineage, that God would send a rescuer to save people from their sins. And we kind of talked about uh, the time leading up to the line, up to Jesus being on earth. There's a lot of events and <laughs> a lot of history there, but through all of it, even as God's people, as they were disobedient, as they were drifting away from God, God was still present. He was still there. He never left. That He sent judges, kings, prophets to communicate truth. And to, you know, encourage them, hey, turn your life around. Follow me. And after the prophet Malachi, the, he's a prophet, but the last book of the Old Testament, 400 years of silence. 400 years of God not being as clearly active as he had formerly been. And that was until God chose to break that silence by speaking and making an announcement to a man, a priest named Zacharias, that he was going to have a child with his wife Elizabeth. And that child, his purpose was to prepare the way for the coming Savior. And we know that child to be John the Baptist now. And, and that was the first announcement made after the silence. But if you keep reading from where we left off, we were in Luke chapter 1, if you keep going... The story continues, and that same angel that spoke to Zacharias, that same angel also spoke to a teenager in Nazareth. And so Luke chapter 1, verse 26, is where we're going to pick up this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles or um, there's one in front of you, it'll also be on the screen. Luke 1, 26 says this. Now in the sixth month, and this wasn't um, the sixth month of the year, it's referring to Elizabeth's pregnancy. In the sixth month of her pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So this angel Gabriel, he 
uh, makes another appearance actually to a relative of Elizabeth named Mary. And we realize, or we learn a few things about her. One is that she's engaged to a man named Joseph. And because she's engaged, she's uh, not quite fully married yet. She hasn't been with him, which means she hasn't slept with him. And the Bible says that she is a virgin. And if you know anything about the Christmas narrative, that is a pretty important factor to remember as we continue. But again, the Bible says that she's from the city Nazareth. It, you know, it's a small country village, really not known for much. They're probably proud of their, you know, one stoplight in town. And if they're lucky, they have a Dollar General. Like, really not much is going on. And that wasn't a dig on Green Springs. I'm just trying to set the scene here for us. Uh, but we realize she's from Nazareth. And that's where the, the angel goes to visit her. Doesn't really say what she's doing or even where she's at. But verse 28 says this. And coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was perplexed at the statement and kept wondering or kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And he starts this conversation, has nothing but nice, positive things to say about her. He calls her favored one. And to be shown favor, that just means that she's experienced God's grace that God has chosen her to be a part of his plan of salvation. And as this morning as we're talking about Mary and Joseph, let me just say this. Um, her job description that God is about to give her is unique. No one has or ever will have the same uh, responsibility of giving birth to the Savior as, as Mary did. But that doesn't mean that Mary herself has any higher status beyond other Christians. That there are some people, some religions that believe that Mary is greater than other people. And that's just not true. Mary wasn't chosen for this task because, man, she lived such a great life. And her life kind of merited this privilege. That's, that's not the focus here. God had chosen her. God had shown favor and grace to her. That she is a sinner just like us. And she... Uh, sorry, us, like Mary, we have the opportunity to receive grace from God through his son, Jesus. So that's just something to keep in mind as we go forward. But as the angel greets her, the Bible says that she is perplexed. This word also means uh, concerned or deeply troubled. And can you really blame her? Like, again, she's speaking to an angel, which is probably a little terrifying, confusing uh, in more ways than one. And she, probably in such a short amount of time, she's probably going through all the possibilities in her mind of what this could be. So many thoughts are running through her head. She really doesn't even know what to make of the situation right now. And I don't know about you guys, but I, I've been there before. Like where uh, if I'm going into a scenario and I don't know how it's going to end or how it's going to go for me, I start to worry and I start to kind of let my mind do more than it should. But maybe for some of us, it's looked differently. Maybe it's uh, your boss has called you into the office. Or maybe someone says, we need to talk. Or maybe it's, hey, you sent a text or an email out and no one's responded. And you're kind of being left on red. And you're like, oh, man, oh, I knew that was going to happen. I knew they wouldn't like it. It was probably bad. Or maybe it's just a conversation that you're not looking forward to that you don't know how it's going to play out. And so we're left wondering in that moment, 
Okay, this could be bad. Am I getting fired? <laughs> Are we breaking up? Is this not going to end well for me? What's going to happen? What, you know, what, what are they going to say? And our brain begins kind of dishing out all these outcomes in a panic. That's what Mary's going through right now. And Gabriel tries to reassure her that there is nothing to worry about. Mary's, again, she's confused and concerned. And the angel says, hey, do not be afraid that you have found favor with God. There is no reason to panic. And then the angel then lays out what God has for her in verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Angel says, Mary, you're having a baby. And that baby can be a boy. And that boy is going to be named Jesus. And Jesus will be great. He won't be an ordinary child. Actually, it says that God will give him a kingdom that will be unmatched, unrivaled. It will be eternal. That your son is going to be a king that the Jewish people have been waiting for for thousands of years. And this king is the solution to our sin problem. Now, I want us to notice what God didn't do. To fix our sin, uh, to give us hope and eternal life, what he doesn't do is send a bunch of rules. God doesn't send more, hey, do this, don't do that. God doesn't send just an, an encouragement and go, hey, you're doing great, just a little more. God doesn't send this um, clearly powerful military or political influence. God doesn't send just blessing and prosperity. God sent a savior. And God's plan to send a savior was exactly what we needed. Because we need to realize how broken and how undeserving of grace we really are. That when sin entered the world, God's plan was that Jesus would be the only way to be saved and have eternal life. Because unfortunately for us, we need to be rescued. That's reality. We can't fix our own problem. We are stuck. If it's left up to us, we, we can't do anything. We can try all we want to work our way. We can try all we want to, you know, I'm probably not that bad of a person. Like, do my sins really deserve hell? There's way worse people than me. Or we try to be a good enough person or we just believe that God's going to save us a seat in heaven one day. If we tr no matter how hard we try, we will fail. We need Jesus. And that's why all of us need to come to a willful decision in our life to acknowledge that we fall short. To acknowledge that I, I'm a sinner. <laughs> I'm, I'm not perfect. I can't do this on my own. But thankfully, God provided a way so that I wouldn't have to be stuck in my sin. But he sent his son, Jesus. And so I acknowledge my sin, but I believe that Jesus died for my sin, that he took my penalty, that he was my substitute, that he paid the price and died the death that I deserve. But I don't have to if I trust in him and I choose to follow him. If we don't make that decision to place our faith in Jesus, then we don't get the benefits of what Jesus accomplished on earth. The reality is that we are helpless without him. 
God's plan was to send a Savior. And he would do that. He would accomplish that plan through a teenage girl. Most believe that she was around 13 to 16 years old. So she might not even be in high school yet. Can't even drive. And God is using her to bring the Savior into the world. She really has no credentials. She's unmarried. She's poor. She's from a no-name town. God picks her out and says, I'm going to use her to change the course of history, to draw a line to where everything after that is altered. God God chose to use her. And so Mary, I got to be thinking, Mary's listening to this going, wow, that is amazing. Like that is incredible. God, you're telling me I am giving birth to the Messiah? That's incredible. But there's one hiccup in this plan that I see. (laughs) I don't know if you're aware of it, uh, Gabriel. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? So she's thinking through some logistics here going, wait a minute, not married to Joseph, haven't slept with him yet. I don't know how I'm going to have a baby when, uh, (laughs) haven't done that yet. So the angel, in the midst of her confusion and worry and and just not understanding how it's all going to be figured out, he provides an answer. Verse 35, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. See, what Mary was forgetting is that God is the source of life. That he is the creator and sustainer of everything that we see. And so she's wondering, all right, well, how is this going to work out? I don't understand. And the angel says, God's going to take care of it. Says the Holy Spirit will make sure that uh, that the child is there. That God has this figured out. And for even more proof, the angel says, hey, think about your relative Elizabeth. That even in her old age, that she is able to give birth and have a child, even though she's past the years of being able to have a child, and even when she was young enough, she still couldn't conceive. God's saying, Mary, that was nothing. That she was, uh, she was disgraced and she was known for not having kids, but God chose to show grace to her and bring a miracle. And the angel's saying, Mary, God wants to do a greater miracle through you. And so we're wondering, and she's wondering how, why. Verse 37 says, for nothing will be impossible with God. For nothing will be impossible with God. It's one of those power verses in the Bible, right? We like those. We want to memorize that one, crochet it on a pillow, do whatever we want. We kind of cling to those verses. And we hear that and go, wow, I, I can do anything. I can start that new business. I can retire when I want. I can drop those few extra pounds. I can potty train my puppy. Like I can do anything with God. It's not necessarily what the verse is referring to. Truth is that this verse isn't a green light 
for us to believe that we can do whatever we want. But it's an invitation to follow God, even when we don't have all the answers. Even though that's exactly what Mary wanted. She wanted an explanation. She wanted to know, how is this even possible? She wanted to know, uh, again, the, the kind of blueprint of God's plan. And don't we often want the same things when we're talking to God? When we ask him for something or when he's calling us to do something or maybe even when we're kind of evaluating our own lives and we go, ah, well, I don't like that. Or if I were God, I probably wouldn't have done that. God, why is this happening? How is this even going to work out in the end? And so we're tentative to move forward because we don't know how it's going to work out. Well, God, if, I, if I'm generous and if I give that much, how is everything else going to take care of itself financially? God, I know you're calling me to share the gospel with my coworkers, but you know what? I don't really know how they're going to respond. I don't even know if I'm allowed to at work. Like, it just seems a little risky. Or God, I'm praying for healing, but it kind of looks too far along. How are you even going to make that a reality? God, I'm praying for peace. I'm praying for joy, but it doesn't seem achievable when my life looks like this. God, how can this be? Now, Mary's situation is a little different, but she is asking the same question that we often ask God. And what we see is that we don't have to have the answers to move forward in faith. And if you want to see what crazy faith looks like, to trust God regardless of your circumstances or the unknown, we look at this girl right here. We look at Mary because she's not perfect, but she has the perfect response. Verse 38, and Mary said, behold, the bond slave, or just the servant, of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. See, in the midst of her, again, worry and confusion, she left that conversation going, God, I'm your servant. May it be done to me according to your word. And this is one of the best examples that we have of faith lived out, of just saying yes to God regardless of what's going on. Saying yes to God, being willing to obey him no matter what. That her desire for God's word to become a reality in her life was greater than a desire for anything else. And so we, earlier we talked about how easy it can be for Christmas to kind of be about us and you know, make it a, uh, about me, myself, and I. But Mary shows us the right heart to have. She wasn't thinking, wow, you know, that's great and all, but I'd really rather not be pregnant. Like, that seems a little problematic. Can we just push that back or do I have a veto option? Like, you know, she wasn't thinking that. She's simply willing to obey God no matter what. And that's huge because think about what that will do to her life. Like, I know we, we tend to read these stories and go, oh, wow, that's great. Yeah, Mary said yes, and she gave birth to the Savior. That's awesome. But realistically, being pregnant before you're married, uh, seemingly committing adultery against Joseph, like, what's that doing to her life? And not only hers, but also her fiancé's life. And we actually get kind of a snapshot of, of what's going on in his life after this encounter. And this is where things get just a little complicated, a little messy, because we know that Mary's bought in, but what about Joseph? And so we're going to shift from Luke chapter 1 to Matthew chapter 1. 
verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. So Mary and Joseph, they're engaged. But in their time, uh, it worked a little different than how we operate today. Okay, it's still, you know, kind of two phases. You're engaged and then the marriage itself. Uh, But marriages were usually arranged. So the son would go to his dad and say, hey, dad, want to get married? Find me someone. And then he would find his son, a wife, to marry. And some of us in here are going, yeah, nope, don't like that. I'm going to choose for myself. Okay, we get that. But this is what happened. They, They were arranged and once someone was found for the son, a payment or a dowry was paid to the bride's father and then some form of agreement was made to be married. And from that moment, like in this first stage, they are legally married. Joseph has responsibility for Mary. But what made this stage unique was that even though they're engaged, they're you know, legally married, for the first year, they don't live together. They don't live in the same house. They don't sleep together. They don't, so they're married. They just don't live like it. And the only way out of this commitment is divorce. And so that's what's on Joseph's mind. But just for a second, put yourself in his shoes. Like how are you reacting to this entire situation? You're engaged to this woman. You're thinking things are going pretty well. And then you find out she's pregnant. And I'm guessing it didn't take him long to realize it's not my kid, right? Mary cheated on me. And so now, uh, not only that, but there's just a number of problems that kind of come his way. We don't really, we're not told the encounter between Mary and Joseph, but Mary probably pulled up to Joseph's house and said, hey, Joseph, crazy story. (laughs) I'm pregnant. And uh, God's the father. So Joseph, he's thinking not only is she a cheater, she's crazy too. Like she thinks she's having God's baby. And again, so much is going on in his world. Think about how, how humiliating this was for him. How shocked he was. How crushed he was. In a small town, everyone's talking. Everyone knows everyone and, and everyone knows everything. And so no one, the only thing they don't know is the truth about how Mary is having her child. But the reputation, Mary and Joseph's are probably ruined. The woman, if you're Joseph, the woman that you committed yourself to, that you paid a price for, that you've probably been working months and years for her, that you think that you're going to spend the rest of your life with, that girl comes to your house and she's pregnant with a miracle baby? Yeah, no thanks. And so Joseph, he is looking to get a divorce. He hasn't been faithful. But here's where we see Joseph's selfless character. See, I'm guessing most guys in his scenario probably would have kind of drugged Mary through the mud. Like making sure that everyone knew, hey, she was the one that wronged me. But the Bible says that he was a righteous man. 
that he did not want to disgrace her. So he looked to secretly end things. And Joseph was not thinking about himself. Okay, he wasn't making sure everyone was on his side. He's not going to be the one posting on Facebook his problems so that he kind of comes out in a better light than, than, than someone else. Even when he thought he was wronged, he wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about God, God's glory, and trying to respect Mary. And Joseph was ready to follow through until God revealed the truth to him. Verse 20 says, But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Says Joseph woke up from his dream and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and she called his name Jesus. Joseph gives us an excellent example of what it looks like to be obedient and willing. I mean, again, he's stressed. He's probably just thinking, oh, man, this is great. I, you know, I, I, thought, she, I thought we were going to get married, thought we were going to be together forever. Now I have to start over, find someone new. I have to, you know, get all this sorted out. That's what is going through his mind until an angel tells Joseph what has really been going on. And then he believes God. And I don't know if you're fully bought on Joseph yet, but if you need another example of the fact that he is selfless, I don't know if you picked up on the end of that passage on verse 25, but verse 24 says that, okay, Joseph woke up from his dream and did what God commanded him to do. He married Mary, brought her home, and then they began living together while she was pregnant with Jesus. But verse 25 says that he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. Now, this was probably done to just refute any possible claim that Joseph was Jesus' biological father, but even after they were married and living together, it says that he did not sleep with her until after the birth of Jesus, which may have been months after the fact. Now, it might be a little weird to think about, but can we just agree that that's probably not how most married people see the early stages of their marriage going, right? Like, I, what are they doing on the wedding night? Does Joseph come up to the honeymoon suite like, I brought Monopoly? Like, I, I don't know what they're doing, but it's probably not what most people would envision what happened in that moment? But we see Joseph is selfless. And we see two individuals who show extreme faith based off what they know. Two, indiv two individuals that show sacrifice for others. Two individuals that show a willingness to obey God regardless of how unlikely it sounds. And these are the same characteristics that should define our life. These are the same traits that we should showcase as we live. And not just for Christmas, not just for December, but for the rest of our lives. I think so often we get caught up in just living a life kind of full of selfishness. 
And most of us probably wouldn't look in the mirror and go, yeah, I, I'm selfish. Like I live my life in a selfish manner. Most of us probably wouldn't identify that way. But I think it's so easy to just live in a world that revolves around us and what we want and what we want to accomplish and how we can benefit from something. But instead of doing that, we can be like Joseph, who was selfless. He sacrificed what he wanted for the greater good of Mary and God's glory. And I think also, often we are indifferent to God's commands, that we don't prioritize just simply obeying what God has commanded us to do. And when we do that, that's when our faith becomes stagnant. That's when we become comfortable telling God no. And instead of that being a reality, we can be like Mary, who was willing and obedient. It didn't matter the cost. She submitted to God's plan for her life. And she submitted to God's crazy plan for her life, saying, God, I'll do it. I'm your servant. Whatever you said, I'll make sure it happens. May it be done according to your word. May it be done to me as you have said. That was her response. But let me challenge you with with something this morning. What if every single opportunity we had, every chance we had to either obey God or serve and love people, what if every single opportunity we had, that was our response? May it be done. May it be done according to your word. All right, God, you, I, I know you're calling me to share the gospel with my family, with my friends. All right, may it be done. I'm willing to do that. God, I know uh, my neighbor, they, they need their driveway shoveled, but it's kind of cold outside. I'd rather stay in, but all right, may it be done. I'm willing to do that. God, I, I know that you're calling me to, to really not focus on, um, you know, my time this Christmas and my bonus and my gifts, but instead I should use my time and money to help others. All right, I'm willing to do that. God, you're telling me that I can do something simple like pay for someone's tank of gas, pray for them and give them a you've been gifted card, invite them to grace. All right, I'm willing to do that. God, I have no idea why, but you have placed this illness, this disease in my life. May it be done according to your word. God, you want me to submit my entire life to you and accept the gift of your son Jesus dying on the cross? I'm willing to do that. What if that was our response every single time? How would your life change? How would the lives of others around you change? Because I think we're hesitant for that to be our response, even when it shouldn't be. Let me, let me end with this. I, was, I can't help thinking about... Um, Mary and Joseph, before they were encountered by the angels. Like if you were to ask them, all right, hey, what would you kind of want your life to look like in the next few years? Like if they had kind of a picture perfect, um, you know, outline of what they wanted their early marriage and their next few years to be, I'm guessing if you asked them, this wouldn't be (laughs) in their agenda, right? This probably would not be what they would choose to do. This isn't how they imagined 
starting their lives off together. Joseph would not have chosen to be freaked out that his fiance cheated on him. Mary would not have chosen uh, to be looked down on by an entire town. And everyone's thinking, oh, that's the girl that got pregnant by God. You know, that's probably not Mary's first choice. Either of their first choices. But God intervened in the life of a normal couple. And we see that pretty much everything that God had in store for them was inconvenient and it was against the plan for their life. Even though everything God had in store for them was also better. And chances are any opportunity that you have to obey God, to say yes, to love other people, to go out of your way to help or serve people, chances are that's going to be inconvenient. It's going to cost something. You're going to have to give up time or money or resources or your kind of dream lifestyle or your weekends. I don't know what it is, but God is saying, hey, it's worth it and it's better. And all God needs from us is a willing and humble heart. Someone that no matter what comes our way, someone to respond in faith saying, may it be done. Just saying yes to God. And so we have an opportunity. And so let's take advantage of that. Let's show those around us what it looks like when we have a definitive changing point, when we have a line in our life to where we begin living for something greater than just ourselves. And we are people who respond in faith, but we're willing and we're selfless and we obey God no matter what. Let's go ahead and pray this morning as we, as we wrap up. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you just allowing us to be here to learn about you to be encountered with your word and your truth and we read a story about Mary and Joseph God it seems kind of crazy it seems almost sometimes difficult to relate to it God but it's people that you have intervened in their lives that you've communicated truth to just like us and they responded in faith that they were willing they were selfless and they were obedient didn't matter what it cost them doesn't matter that it was inconvenient God they chose to follow you even when they didn't have the answers and I pray that we would be able to do the same exact thing and God we thank you most of all for your son it's the reason that we celebrate Christmas it's the reason that we're able to have confidence in eternal life and salvation, God. We thank you for the gift of his death and resurrection. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.